Uh, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast, recorded Friday, August the 26th. On this week's edition, we're going to talk about uh, the uh, police assault of a man in Crawford County. Uh, we'll also talk about uh, a, a new ruling in a, a, a case involving gender-affirming care for minors in Arkansas, and we'll check in on the Little Rock mayor's race and maybe some other odds and ends here and there. I'm joined, not as usual, as special. special That's class. right. Austin Hi. Bay, managing editor. How's it going? That's oh, going great. It's going great. It's Friday. It's been a long news week. Um, but I would like to start our podcast by um, naming the Arkansas Journalist of the Week, and that is those two women who were at um, the gas station at the Country Express in Mulberry on Sunday and pulled out their cell phones and captured very important video. Yeah, so you were the first to kind of pick up on this story and have covered it all through the week. Give us, start with kind of the basics. What sure. what happened? Right. So um, a couple young women were just going to the gas station in Mulberry around 10 o'clock Sunday morning. And when they pulled up, there was something happening. Um, I, I spoke with the woman's sister who told me that um, the woman herself was, was too upset Sunday to talk. Um, but uh, reportedly when they got there, um, there was a, a man who looked kind of confused sitting on the, the curb um, with police officers around him. And he got up apparently, um, sorry, there's a fire truck going by. He got up apparently to, to maybe run away at which time the three officers, um, got him onto the ground, um, were punching him while he was face down, um, like slammed his head into the cement, lots of kicking, um, just really ferocious and, and kind of extended beatdown of this man who didn't have, didn't appear to have shoes on. Um, the, the, the women tried to intervene, yelled at the officers to stop. One of them told her to, uh, get back the fuck up or something along those lines another told her to, to, to get back in the car um so it, it you know a lot of people have reacted to the video since it came out and said well this even the you know the governor said this this doesn't this is not proper police work um you know but i think we have seen as the week wears on and as as you often do in these cases uh, uh, some hedging happening now uh the 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 sheriff in Crawford County says, wait, there's more to this. It looks bad, but there's more to it. Um, so so we're I mean, we're still finding out more, but we know at least two of the three officers involved have had, you know, some violence in their past. So it's it's uh, we'll, we'll see what we learn, but it, it doesn't look good. Yeah, so the, the governor held a press conference talk about several different things, but this is what he led with, I believe. You you attended it, right? I did, I did. He, he initially, he had called the press conference before this incident happened to talk about the state's response to, to crime after that crazy weekend in Little Rock a, a few weeks ago when I think we had 18 shootings in one weekend. Um, and, and then this happened over the weekend, and so he added added this to the to the agenda 
but yes, um, you know, he had somebody there from the uh, the group that handles police training and kind of went over, yes, you know, all of our officers get X number of, of hours of training, but it, you know, it all obviously falls apart if the training doesn't, you know, go into use. Um, it, it sounded like there were multiple agencies that are going to be doing the investigation. I know there's been a lot of disappointment that the dash cam footage that they apparently have is, is not supposed to be released anytime soon. Um, so we're really kind of at the mercy of, of the people who are investigating to, as, as information dribbles out or not. Yeah, so the, the state police is investigating as well as the FBI mm -hmm. and the Justice Department. So. Yes, and the prosecuting attorney in Crawford County, too. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of folks are looking into it. And, and the, the officers involved, you know, are on, um, are, are suspended with pay. Um, so who knows how long that's going to be happening, um, especially, you know, Mulberry, I think, has a police force of maybe two. So, you know, that they're down by down by half. But um, yeah, so it, it, nobody has really been able to give a timeline on when we'll we'll know anything more or when next steps will happen. <coughs> All right, excuse me. Uh, let's move on and uh, and talk about this uh, ruling from the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals on uh, an Arkansas law that attempts to pro or that, that prohibits gender affirming care for minors in mm -hmm. Arkansas. Mm -hmm. I always get excited when we get to use on our website that photo that Brian Chilson took last summer of the the group of plaintiffs. It was um, young people and their families and doctors that the plaintiffs in that case celebrating after uh, Judge Moody initially um, put up an injunction to keep the law from going into effect. What the, the, the law they're talking about is one passed in 2021 by the legislature vetoed by the governor, but the veto was overridden, that bans young people under 18 from getting access to gender affirming treatments. So, you know, sex change operations are just are not done on this age group. That does not happen. But there are, you know, some hormonal treatments, some other therapy treatments uh, that are that, you know, the doctors carry out that, that doctors prescribe. Um, and that and that that the lawmakers have have banned that, um, and Judge Moody put put a put up an injunction to allow these young people to continue getting their medical care as the as the case is pending, and it's supposed to go to trial in October. Um, so what happened this week was uh, the state of Arkansas, Leslie Rutledge contested the injunction saying, no, we need to put this law into effect now. We need to block access to gender affirming care for young people now. The, the Court of Appeals said, no, you don't. Uh, they, they looked at um, kind of the, the likelihood, the merits of the case. And, and the, the, the Eighth Circuit is a pretty conservative bunch of folks, uh, but they, they you know really came through and said, hey, it looks like the science uh, is on the on the ACLU side here, um, and you know allowed allowed uh, gender affirming clinic 
in Arkansas to, to stay open and in operation. Somewhat, somewhat surprising uh, from the Eighth Circuit, which is notoriously conservative mm -hmm. and often, you know, invents rationale to to block, you know, things that that go against whatever the whatever's popular in conservative land. Yeah, it was interesting. Also, uh, one argument that the state of Arkansas, Leslie Rutledge, has been making is that the law is not uh, discriminatory in regards to sex. But the Eighth Circuit kind of noted that, gosh, you know, if you want to give testosterone treatment to a 15-year-old boy, then that's fine. This, this doesn't cover it. But if you want to give it to a girl, then this is, you know, addressing that. So it, it does appear to be discriminatory. So, you know, on a, on a few different levels, the Eighth Circuit said, hey, these, these arguments are really not holding water. So um, obviously, you know, it, nothing's determined until October when Moody will hear the full case. Um, but for now, it's, it's pretty great news, I would say, for transgender youth in Arkansas. And that some heavy hitters came out in their support. There was amicus briefs filed on behalf of the Walton Family Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, the, the State Chamber of Commerce is also supporting transgender use rights to medical care. So, I mean, they have some momentum and, and um, it's a, it, it was a good week for them to celebrate. Yeah, well, so this was a three judge panel of the Eighth Circuit. Uh, and as you say, the, the full case will be heard and inevitably appealed sometimes when when the the full Eighth Circuit weighs in, it uh, it it rules differently. And of course, this is just an injunction. So I think there's still a long road ahead. But as you say, good good news for this week. Let's move on and and talk about the Literac uh, mayoral election. It's been greatly on my mind because I just finished a cover story that went to press this week that will be out next week on the race. Uh, their filing period ended last week. There are four candidates. Of course, uh, the two that we've talked about forever and ever, Frank Scott and Steve Landers. And Greg Henderson, who's been in for a while or who announced early, uh, filed. And then Glenn Swartz, the perennial candidate who advocates on uh, marijuana and, and often has some kind of wacky ideas and will certainly add some color to the race. But I think most everyone agrees that it is it is down to to Scott and Landers. And, uh, you know, we've got a, just a couple months left. And so things are kind of heating up. Um, you mentioned two weeks ago there were 18 shootings. Uh, Landers has has really focused his campaign on crime and has has laid the blame on this spike in crime that Little Rock and cities around the country are experiencing on the mayor. Um, and and that's that's kind of been his his thing that he's he's hitting on over and over and over his his Twitter page. Uh, and of course, social media is the way that uh, that you campaign in, in 2022 is is filled with uh, anecdotes about crime or stats on crime or uh, or claims about how Scott is is bumbling uh, the the handling of the crime situation in Little Rock. Well, question uh, for you. So you just wrote this cover story and and talked to the the candidates. 
what would Landers do differently? What What's his plan to change it? Well, so I, I think that that is kind of the central critique of Landers is that he's thin on plans. So uh, he when when Scott was running in 2018, he said he wanted to hire 100 new officers. That was pretty quickly shelved for further study. And because it would be a massive ex- expense that the city couldn't afford, it was it was always kind of a non-starter. But that's that's easy pickings for for Landers in, in terms of uh, scoring political points. So he talks about that a lot. But you know he wants to add officers. He's he's vague about how many. He thinks we need more. Uh, there there's been it, it's been difficult for police departments all over the country to hire new officers, both because we're in a weird job market and because you know, it's maybe not as attractive to be a law enforcement officer for a variety of reasons today. So uh, he doesn't have really concrete plans. I mean, the most concrete thing he told me is that we should add police dogs. So I, I don't know that that's going to satisfy his, his critics. About I don't know. I feel like adding dogs to anything is a pretty winning campaign strategy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if the police dogs count as that. They're not not as as cuddly as other dogs, uh, at least police reputationally. Just be police puppies. Uh, the mayor, for his part, says we've got this holistic approach. We're we're putting more money than ever into uh, what the city calls prevention, intervention, and treatment. That's you know programs to work with youth to steer them away from from violence, to work on conflict resolution, uh, to, you know, in, invest in, in communities that have often been overlooked, while at the same time, you know, doing targeted patrols with the police department and, uh, you know, upping recruiting efforts. Um, and he has repeatedly touted modest gains and in, in various parts of of uh, crime stats, and he's talked about that this is a national problem, not just Litterac, and that a lot of the violence is domestic or acquaintance-related, meaning that Litterac is not a, a dangerous city for you and me just walking around. The likelihood of us getting shot or being a victim of crime is is relatively low, that most of the violence is happening between people who know each other, which certainly doesn't make it not a problem, but but maybe casts it in a different light for people. So I think the election really is going to be about folks' perception of crime and how bad the problem is in part. But the the big hurdle, as we've discussed on this podcast repeatedly for Landers, is that you know, despite what he says that he's he doesn't have an agenda and he's not a political person, he's widely identified as a Republican. Uh, he's mm-hmm. he's given heavily to Republicans. He's hired some Republican political consultants. He has campaigned in a fashion that is reminiscent for a lot of people and as mm-hmm. kind of a Republican style. And sure. Little Rock is 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 wholly progressive. I mean, well, not wholly, but it, it is overwhelmingly democratic leaning and and that party affiliation uh sort of where the party affiliation and uh and your feelings about crime collide are going to be where this election is decided yeah so if it, just to circle back a little bit on that 
uh, on Monday at ACE's press conference, he talked about how the state is addressing crime, and it was a very Republican uh, strategy. He talked about building more prisons, um, which is, you know, a back end, not solution to crime. Um, evidence does not show that that the threat of being imprisoned is, is going to keep somebody from from committing a crime. But that um, better um, parole uh, procedures to follow up with with people on parole. So, you know, they were back in things. Whoever is elected mayor, whether it's Scott or Landers or Schwartz or Henderson, will have to figure out how to, you know, police a city uh, that is under the the state's gun laws um, that that are that are really loose. There's just very little to that that we can do about all the guns on the streets. So it'll be interesting to see whoever whoever wins, um, how they're able to um, work within this this framework that the state sets that that really uh, kind of ties their hands as far as as far as gun crimes go. Yeah, well, what what Scott always points out on that, and I think to his credit, from especially from our perspective, he's been he talks about guns as an issue. I mean, we've we've covered so many things and in recent weeks, whether it's the school safety commission or this crime spike, where no one talks about our gun laws as being a, a big contributor, Scott will talk about it. He said, we know where we live. You know, we, we know the, the, how wide open it is that the state has made it. But the, the one thing that, that the department does is it works really closely with federal agencies and it refers all gun crimes to the feds and that means longer sentences so yeah and and, and lander's relationship with guns seems to be very different um, you guys have addressed it but you know no, he, actually i don't i think we have not podcast since since that news happened oh well we're out of time so yeah that that or i was out of town uh, last week the, the other big development was uh, i guess two weeks ago uh, when uh, a, an anonymous uh, person on Twitter said, you know, I have uh, verified that Steve Landers left his gun in the root bathroom, and then Landers himself called Max Brantley to confess that he uh, had had taken his pistol out and put it on the sink of the root cafe, realized he left it uh, the same day, called, and the root had turned it over to the police department where Landers eventually retrieved it. He said it's his practice. He's he's long had a con concealed carry license. It's his practice when he goes to restrooms to take the gun out of its holster and put it on the back of a sink. He just forgot to retrieve it. Um, so yeah, as you know, we're talking about guns. That is, and Landers has made a big point to criticize Scott for his uh, police uh, escort that he has had since the early days of his term. Uh, Scott's response is always that it was recommended by interim police chief Wayne Bewley, who's once again the interim police chief. Uh, but he, he gets takes lots of lumps for it. It's something that no mayor has had before. Um, mayors in similar sized cities often do have it, but that it's it's been something he's taken a lot of heat for. But Lander's response on why he carries a gun is because he he has worked odd hours and he has to travel to some dangerous parts of town. So maybe undercut that 
uh, political point just a little bit. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, I spoke with Landers af, uh, when the this news story was in the works, and he mentioned that you know, he just doesn't want to be shot or have one of his campaign staffers be shot while they're on the campaign, which I which kind of just made me feel sad for for Little Rock. Um, but, I, you know, I guess the suggestion is that he's his own security squad. So, you know, to like definitely a, a Democratic approach and a Republican approach there, you can really see um, the, the politics at play. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, you're the expert, but I mean, if, if the election was tomorrow, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how it would go. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, and I wrote this, I think that it's Scott's to lose. Uh, I think that it's going to come down to the center of the city. Uh, you know, last time Scott won overwhelmingly in, in areas south of the interstate and downtown, and he won Capitol View, Stiff Station, Hillcrest. But surprisingly, he kept it fairly close in the Heights and in some areas a little bit to the West. Um, I think th- that in wealthier, wider parts of town, he's going to have a harder time. So he's going to need similar turnout as last time. He's going to need to hold Hillcrest, Stiff Station, Capitol View, and then other areas, uh, you know, not quite West Litterag, more Midtown, but but west of downtown and and Capitol View and Hillcrest. So uh, it'll be interesting. I, there's still a long time to go, and just as these kind of whirlwind last two weeks showed, uh, we could have some some October surprises, I guess. Oh, all right. Okay, well let's let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. Yeah, uh, I would like to to move on to. Uh, high school football, which is back in action, and I went to a game last night, Parkview versus Harbor. Is that how you say it? I'm not sure. Yeah. But um, it was great. It was it was in War Memorial Stadium. Parkview won, which was exciting. Parkview's uh, supposed not, to be really good this year. Uh, they were so good. I think it was like 48 to 26 or something. Uh, it, was, it was just so fun to watch. And, you know, there were nachos with the orange cheese and you can get with the jalapenos, just like terrible but delicious. The band was good. The cheerleaders were great. The dance team was fantastic. And I was like, oh, I forgot how fun this is. So recommend that. Okay. Well, so they were on Thursday just this first week and usually they're on Friday. Is that the deal? I think so. I think so. Uh, this week, it was first week back to school, and I think everyone's schedule was very weird. But yes, Friday night football is usually the thing. Yeah, we're, we are both parents of boys in school and are tired first yes. week. Everyone is tired. No, yes. no good. Uh, well, like I said, I was on vacation uh, last week, and I got to read a lot, which I was very grateful of. And uh, I'll recommend two of the books that I, I got through, um, both from New York Review of Books Classics series. It's I, I love that reissue press. They just everything they put out is has, that I've read has been just really great. Um, I read Elliot Chase's uh, Dark Wings Has My Angel, which is a super cool title. I think it's a a noir that 
believe it was written in the 50s um, by this uh, newspaper guy who wrote several novels. I think he was he was uh, in Mississippi for years and years, but it's about a, um, a, a war veteran who has a, an injury and uh, when he comes back, things kind of go south and he goes to prison and escapes and is on the run and uh, falls in with this um, this this prostitute who it turns out turns out is also on the run and they pull off a big uh, robbery and uh, almost kill each other and a number of a number of instances but it's just it's it's very hard-boiled great description um, just just really solid writing and a quick read too so uh, that and very different um, book by Tove did Didlidson? I don't think I'm quite pronouncing that right. Uh, Scandinavian author who's who's gotten a lot of attention. I can't ever remember if she's from Denmark or Sweden, but uh, she's got a lot of attention because her memoir was issued a couple years ago or re- reprinted in English, and is apparently kind of harrowing and compelling. Um, she was a famous illustrator who did this cartoon series that I think is especially popular in Europe and Japan called Moomin, um, but was also a, a pretty acclaimed novelist and short story writer. The book that I'd read was called The Summer Book, I think, and it is all about this six-year-old and her uh, elderly grandmother who lived together on an island somewhere in Scandinavia and it rotates perspective between the six-year-old and the grandmother and it's just such a lovely book uh, about uh, you know living this very very pastoral life and understanding life at kind of two opposite ends and just really beautiful so I highly recommend both those. Your personality really is explained through these two book choices. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll have to meditate on that, what that means exactly. Uh, All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Stay safe out there, and we'll be back sometime.